Well, tonight we are going to be looking at a passage uh, from the first chapter of 1 Peter, the Apostle's letter to scattered Christians, scattered and suffering Christians throughout Asia Minor, uh, to encourage them uh, to live in light of this living hope that they have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to read the first uh, 12 verses of 1 Peter this evening as we study this passage together. This is God's holy word. Let's listen carefully to it as it's read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And now the passage we're going to consider together tonight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There we end the reading of God's Word this evening. George Bernard Shaw is perhaps uh, the most, one of the most renowned free thinkers in history. He was a liberal atheist philosopher and a critic of all things religious. If he had his way, he would have rid the entire planet of all religion. And yet in his last autobiographical writings, we read something very sad. We read something very hopeless from him. Shaw writes, the science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Its councils, which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. 
In their name I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds, and now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. What a tragic, hopeless epitaph of a man who spent his entire life trying to convince others not to believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. But how different in contrast. How glorious is the confession of the Apostle Peter in our passage, who writes to encourage scattered and suffering believers in the sure knowledge of their living hope in Jesus Christ. All three sections of this wonderful passage focus attention on God's gracious plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, a salvation accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a salvation kept safe by God in heaven for believers, a salvation so great that it piqued the curiosity of the Old Testament prophets who testified about Christ, a salvation so great that it even piques the curiosity of the angels in heaven. Peter writes in this letter to elect exiles, Christians who are strangers on earth, but who are precious citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. And he writes admonishing them to live in harmony with this wonderful living hope that they have through the resurrection of Jesus. Well, tonight, brothers and sisters, we want to consider carefully how Peter encourages us to embrace this living hope, which is ours through the resurrection of Jesus. We must understand that it's, it's this enduring hope that sets us apart, that distinguishes us as believers, as those who wait patiently for the salvation that God has promised. And we'll see as we study this passage together that Christian hope is characterized by a disciplined waiting, a disciplined waiting as we, we faithfully trust God that He will fulfill His promises even as we wait, even as we suffer trials of various kinds. I want to spend the, the first part of this sermon looking at verses 3 through 5 in particular as Peter lays out this wonderful message of the salvation inheritance that we have. As you noticed, as I read uh, this first part of Peter's letter, he begins his letter by ecstatically breaking out in worship. Uh, his joy, his gratitude for God's salvation overflows onto the page. In fact, this entire section, verses 3 through 9, in fact, is one long sentence in the Greek. Now, this is a passage that would flunk by the standards of English 101, but it's one of the most marvelous and beautiful passages in the New Testament. It's as if Peter cannot contain his joy. He cannot contain his desire to worship the God of all grace, and so he must pour it out in one long hallelujah, praise, and blessed be the Lord. He says here in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he begin this way with such elation? Well, he blesses God because of what God has done, and for what God will do. And we see that pattern throughout the New Testament so often, don't we? 
God's past goodness, God's past faithfulness is what prompts our active and living hope in who God will be and what He will do for us in the future. It's who God is and who He's been in the past that that fuels our living hope as Christians. But what has God done? According to the inspired writer, he goes on in verse 3, according to His great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, your salvation, dear saints, your salvation is due entirely to the sovereign grace and mercy of God who recreated you, who caused you to be born again after you were spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul, as you know, picks up on this theme as well in chapter 2 of his letter to the Ephesians. In verses 4 through 7, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he says this, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that we enjoy new life. We enjoy new spiritual life, new birth. We belong to a new family. We have been raised with Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God accepts us only because we are united to Christ by faith in His resurrection, and we have been raised with Him and seated with Him where He is. How do we have that hope? That the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter write about to the Christians. How is it that we are already raised with Christ? Well, the Bible teaches us that Christ's resurrection is the first stage the first step in the general resurrection of all believers that will take place when Christ returns. In his book, Knowing Christ, Mark Jones brings out the fact that that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. What that means is that although we just commemorated today the fact that our Lord Jesus was raised more than 2,000 years ago, there's an inseparable connection between His resurrection and our resurrection at the second coming. And so we can really speak about simply one resurrection event inaugurated by Jesus' resurrection and concluded with ours. And because Christ's resurrection has ushered in the new creation of which we are a part, in that sense our resurrection has already taken place. In that way we are raised with Christ where He is. You see, because we belong to Him, because we are united to Him by faith, and because He has been raised from the dead, we are as resurrected as we will ever be. That's what God has done for us. That's why Peter is so thrilled at the beginning of this epistle to the Christians. That's what He has done for us. And yet, even as we read that, we realize that we long for more, don't we? We long for more. Our bodies are still broken. They are still weak and frail. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. But it's our spiritual union with Christ that guarantees that we also have a sure hope 
and a sure pledge for what God will do for us one day when Christ returns. What God has already done for us in Christ sustains our living hope that God will certainly in the last time reveal to us and make us participants in the fullness of our salvation. What God has done fuels our hope in what He will do. And it's because of that that Peter describes our living hope in verses 4 through 5 as the inheritance, as the inheritance that the Father is keeping in heaven for us. In verses 4 through 5, he says that we have been caused to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. An inheritance, an earthly inheritance, is something rather unique, isn't it? An inheritance is something that uh, is real. It's something that we truly have. It's, it's been promised to us. In that respect, we can say, I have the inheritance. It's mine. And yet, until it's handed over in full, it's still something we anticipate. It's still something we look forward to inheriting. And this language of inheritance that Peter uses here brings us all the way back to Genesis 15 and 17, where God promised to Abraham that he would have uh, much seed, many offspring. He would have land. He would bless others through his family. And yet we know from Hebrews 11 that what Abraham looked forward to was not simply a plot of land in ancient Near East. It was a heavenly city. And that's what we have. That's our inheritance as God's new covenant people. Our inheritance consists of the treasures of God's kingdom, of the blessings of full redemption and eternal joy that await Christ's church in glory. That's what we look forward to. Unlike the inheritance of the physical land of Canaan, our inheritance, Peter says, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That couldn't be said of Canaan. It's kept in heaven for us as God guards us through faith to obtain this inheritance. How wonderful God is to us to promise that both the inheritance and we, the inheritors, are kept safe by His power. Notice that, that Peter's talk of an inheritance encourages us then to press on in hope, to press on in faith on account of the life that God promises us. The terms of an inheritance are usually discussed in the context of death. Somebody has to die in order for uh, the last will or testament to be in force, but Peter discusses our inheritance in the context of life, resurrection life. He says, one has already died to secure our peace with God, but that one has also been raised from the dead to guarantee that God's promises to us are yes and amen in Christ. And more than that, Christ who has died and who has risen, who has also ascended to heaven into glory, is standing right now as our representative before the Father by His own righteousness. And that has profound impact for the way we live our lives. 
We're not to live our lives moping about as, as Christians lamenting and worrying about the things that haven't taken place yet, about the promises that haven't come to fulfillment yet, about the trials and pains and persecutions that we face. No, the Christian life is lived with eyes looking upward all the way to heaven in anticipation of what God will certainly do in us and for us because we are united to Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian who is too heavenly-minded to be of no earthly good. The only way that we are of earthly good, the only way we overcome the discouragements of this present exile is to put our living hope in God who has called us to His eternal glory, who is keeping our heavenly treasure safe for us right now until we receive it in full. What a wonderful salvation inheritance we have by God's free grace and preserving love. But, finally, but secondly, we also um, are called to live uh, in light of these spiritual realities a certain way. How do these spiritual realities both what God has done and what He has promised for us, how do they affect the way we as Christian exiles live? It's a very important question. And the Apostle Peter responds by emphasizing the joy that we are to have as Christians in this life. We should, he says, rejoice in these realities and draw strength from them because our joy at present in the midst of this exile is mingled with all kinds of trials and grief and doubt. One thing that Peter doesn't shy away from is the reality of Christian suffering. Um, he's not naive about our, our present condition as Christians. He says essentially in verse 6, you are and you will be grieved by a variety of, of trials, temporary trials. What should we expect? Well, he, he notes that we should be prepared to suffer for following Christ. But he also intimates in verse, uh, verse 8 that we might face the struggle with doubt, difficulty believing in Christ when we haven't seen Him face to face. And yet, Peter summons true believers to rejoice to have overflowing joy in their salvation, even as they suffer at the hands of evil people, even as they deal with doubt. Why? Why are they to rejoice? Well, first, because our sufferings are not worthless. Our sufferings are not pointless. Look at what he says in verse 7. He reminds them, if necessary, they may be grieved by various trials. And then he says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perish as though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can rejoice, brothers and sisters, in the trials and the temptations that we face because God is so utterly in control of our lives that even in these trials, God uses them to serve the wonderful purpose of refining our faith proving its, its genuineness and lasting quality. He removes the dross from our lives so that we are pure before Him. In His providence, God even uses the testing of our faith 
as a means to preserve us in our salvation until we obtain our inheritance fully and completely. That's the promise of Romans 5 as well. We read there, beginning at verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we are to rejoice amidst the trials uh, and persecutions of this life, but we are also called to rejoice amidst the temptation to doubt. We often hear the phrase, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing, but, but unlike Peter, his original audience who received this letter, as well as the rest of us, have never seen the resurrected Christ face to face. We haven't touched Christ's nail-pierced hands and feet. We didn't gather with the apostles on the beach that morning after the resurrection when Christ prepared a fish breakfast for them. We haven't seen the resurrected Christ, and yet Peter says to the saints, he says to us, how much more blessed are you who have not seen Christ but who still believe in Him on account of God's self-witness in the Scriptures. How much more blessed are you who believe the word of the prophets and the apostles? Jesus Himself said to Thomas, who doubted, who wouldn't believe until he saw. He said, you believe because you saw my hands and feet, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It is we who can rejoice because we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because we have believed the apostolic word about the resurrected Christ. Finally, we are reminded of just how great this salvation is that fuels our hope amidst the trials of this age. In the last few verses of this passage, we look at the salvation searching uh, that Peter reports on. Just how blessed, how privileged are we as believers, to know this great salvation in Christ. Well, Peter says that we have knowledge of God's redemptive plan that not even the Old Testament prophets had, even though they were eagerly searching out the details of this great salvation. Look what we read here, beginning at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." Brothers and sisters, the prophets of the Old Testament were searching out an answer to, to two main questions. They were wondering, who is this Messiah? Who is this Redeemer? And when will He come? 
And we read that, that they were especially equipped to receive the Holy Spirit's testimony about Christ's coming and His, His saving work on behalf of His people. In fact, Peter here calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit of Jesus Christ was active already in the Old Testament, which means that Christ was revealing things about Himself. He was testifying about His coming and His sufferings and His resurrection and His ascension, all of these glorious things, even before He came in human flesh to earth to fulfill them. And yet, the prophets themselves didn't see or experience much of what they were told to say by the Spirit of Christ. They saw through a glass very dimly. They could only see it by means of types and shadows. And we read the wonderful fact that they were ministers and servants of the good news of Jesus for us, for us. Again, in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. We as Christians, brothers and sisters, are especially blessed and privileged because we know the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ. We are the beneficiaries. We are the, the inheritors of the prophet's intense search and their prophetic witness, they were serving you and me. We who have not seen Christ face to face, but through the witness of the Spirit of Christ throughout all of Scripture, we have every reason to believe in Him and His promises because we have the inspired Word that they spoke and recorded for us. Through their prophetic witness, we now see clearly that it's Jesus Christ who is the single thread that connects the entire Bible. We now see that all things that happened before His coming and everything after finds its meaning in Him. And it's the Spirit of Christ that continues to keep God's Word alive for us, to nourish and assure us of the content of our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. How great is this salvation that we enjoy and, and still long to see completed? It's so great that it even piques the curiosity of the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven who perpetually live before the holiness of God in the glorious presence of the triune God this salvation piques their curiosity. They want to know more. So great is this salvation that even in a state of such unsurpassed glory, they should desire to cast their gaze to what God is doing down here on earth. It's amazing. Even the angels of heaven, who unlike us are not direct recipients of this great salvation, but only spectators long to look over the shoulders of, uh, of our, our, our shoulders, of believers, as God fulfills His redemption plan in Christ. They, too, long to see the completion of God's saving work in history on your behalf and mine. So great 
is this salvation. So great is this living hope that we have. What a tremendous comfort then. What a tremendous comfort for we as elect exiles, chosen by God to live for Him in this hostile world, to know that every part of our salvation, though not fully revealed, is real, kept as a sure inheritance in heaven for you if you love Jesus Christ. And as we read the gospel, we are We are privileged, we are blessed to see and to know far more about this salvation than even the prophets and the angels saw or understood when they proclaimed it. And it's this living hope, brothers and sisters, the living hope in this great salvation that strengthens our faith amidst life's tensions. It's this living hope that that fills our hearts and our mouths with joy. It's this living hope that enables us to live lives of faithful service and holiness. What a great salvation. What a living hope we have through the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this marvelous and great salvation that we have. We thank You that You appointed the the Old Testament prophets to seek out by Your Spirit the the person and the time of the Redeemer's coming. So many believers were held in, in hope, looking forward to the revelation of this great Redeemer. And we now live after the fact of His coming, after the accomplishment of His work on the cross, His propitiating work on the cross, His victorious resurrection, and now His session at your right hand. And we look back through the revelation of yourself and your great plan of redemption in Scripture. And we have a sure witness, a sure testimony of the resurrected Christ and His great work of redemption for us. And so, though we have not seen, we believe. And we are blessed and we are filled with joy in this great salvation that even the angels desire to understand. We pray, Lord, that we would not allow this great salvation to become common, that we would not become apathetic about this marvelous living hope that we have, but that we would meditate on it day after day, that it would fuel our joy amidst the tensions of this life, that it would fuel our joy amidst the adversity and trial that that we experience, that it would give us perseverance and patience as we press forward until Christ returns and that great resurrection event is concluded. We thank you for this great salvation, this living hope that sustains us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's sing to the God of our hope, turning to number 386. In the Blue Psalter, 386, how vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. It's not for works that we have done. These all to Him we owe. But He of His electing love, salvation doth bestow. Let's stand together, sing all three stanzas of number 386.